0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Brave UX. I'm Brendan Jarvis, Managing Founder of The Space In Between, and it's my job to help you to put the pieces of the product puzzle together. I do that by interviewing world-class experts in UX research and product management, and they share their stories, learnings, and advice with us. My guest today is David Hamill. David is a UX research consultant, coach, and strategist hailing from Edinburgh, Scotland. He has 17 years of experience helping companies of all sizes and stages to make smarter product and design decisions. David received his first taste of UX in 2003 while working to improve the usability of the Royal Bank of Scotland's intranet. After leaving the bank, he worked as a usability consultant at the well-respected User Vision, where he led projects for the BBC, the Royal Navy, GlassDirect, and many more. Not one to sit still, David established his own UX research practice in 2008, where he consulted with a range of clients, including the then early stage company, Skyscanner. In 2013, Skyscanner made David an offer he couldn't refuse, and David joined the company as a full-time senior user researcher. While there, David introduced human-centered design practices and established user research as a fundamental part of product development. Leaving Skyscanner in early 2019, David launched Up UX, where he is a sought after consultant and coach for high growth companies, wanting to run effective user research and to upskill their product teams. An active contributor to our field, David has spoken at events such as Northern UX and Product Tank. He also authors a blog on Medium, where he's had his posts featured in many popular channels, including UX Collective, UX Planet and The Startup. David has also recently launched a YouTube channel where he shares insightful and practical UX tips. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks Brendan, uh, it's good to be on it. I'm, I'm quite impressed by that. You, you, you mentioned things that I'd forgotten. I'm sorry, my, my coffee machine's just about to turn off so. Research you're, you're gonna, is essential. You're gonna have to just endure that. Yeah, no worries,
0: early morning. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting fueled up on coffee we've got a big, a big sort of uh, list of topics ahead of us that I'm sure our audience will be really keen to hear from you about but before we get into anything that's too too heavy uh, well this could actually go the other way um, and while this isn't a show about football I have to ask is it Celtic or Rangers
1: actually so Celtic and Rangers are Glasgow teams and well, most of the people in Scotland either support Celtic or Rangers because they're the only real good teams. Uh, but but I'm a, I'm a Harp supporter, and that's that's a that's a, uh, that's a an Edinburgh club for, for those who have no idea who Harps are.
0: I'm glad that we won't be offending half of Scotland from this point on. <laughs> well, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so look, un- unlike some of the other guests that I've had at the sh- on the show, who have come to UX from um, HCI or from psychology, uh, I understand that you're a reformed marketer. What's the story there?
1: <laughs> um, I started off doing a degree in economics and then realized it was actually quite a lot of hard work and back then I was a bit of a slacker. I guess I'm maybe still am now. But, um, uh, and then so I transferred to marketing because it just seemed more fun, more interesting. Um, and so, um, I, but then when it came to work, I, I I didn't really enjoy marketing as a profession. I mean, I, I don't want to disrespect any marketers, but I, I just didn't enjoy it. No uh, I'm so not I, to
0: this anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. So so I I ended up uh, I ended up sort of teaching myself web design. Uh, because back then that's that's the way people learned web design as they taught themselves. There were no, there were no degree courses or anything on, uh, on these things. And then that sort of progressed me towards kind of um, working at RBS and then at RBS, that's where I, I um, or Royal Bank of Scotland for people who don't know what RBS is, uh, and, and sort of picked up sort of uh, user experience, user-centered design, whatever you want to call it, um,
0: yeah, I understand that you were you had a bit of a reputation for asking annoying questions like, "How do we know any of this stuff is going to work?"
1: Yeah, so I, I used to I used I used to ask that, and then and then sort of realised there was a job in that, um, and so um, my boss at the time, Melanie Thompson, she was she was a great boss, and uh, uh, she actually she actually just she only gave me a job because I made her laugh in the interview, which is. <laughs> A bit of a lucky, t- a lucky turn on uh, on my part, but like she, um, she I guess she recognised that sort of quality in uh, in me. She knew um, uh, she knew Kate Cox, who who's who's still at RBS, in fact, and um, and essentially sort of steered me her her way in in, in order to learn more about it, and, and that's the way my my sort of pr- my uh, career sort of went in that direction after after that.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like Kate was quite important in in your sort of entry into the field.
1: Yeah, she she was. I think um, uh, the uh, I, she she taught me, and in the same way that I've done I've done to numerous people now is, is like sort of showed them showed me how to do usability testing, and um, and then sort of again kind it of gave me the confidence that um, I was actually quite good at it. You know, so. So um, you know the, the way that, that I do this is sort of with, with uh, people is, is often based on the way that she she did with me was um, you know run uh, run a couple of tests with uh, with um, the person watching so with me watching and then get me to do the, the rest of them with her watching um, and uh, and then with the view that she was going to. Uh, she was going to give me pointers about things to improve, etc. And, and uh, you know, after the first one, she's like, hey, you, pretty, "You pretty much, you pretty much nailed that. Um, you know, you're a bit of a natural at it." And and uh, and yeah, so I, I, I just sort of, I seem to have the aptitude for the uh, for the discipline uh, quite early on.
0: Yeah, and I also, I also understand that you, you you might know my previous guest on the show, Dr. David Travis.
1: And, and we were on the lookout for uh, for somebody to help with the um, with essentially the the refactoring of the entire intranet. Um, and uh, and David won that contract, uh, and so I just I, I just sort of shadowed him, didn't leave him alone <laughs> when he was wherever he was doing that. I just sort of spectated and uh, etc. And he and and sort of he's been he's been quite. Um, uh, he, I mean, David's very generous with his time, uh, and so all the way through my career, if I if I've had a, a question about something, generally, he's been the person that I go to about it, um, and 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 very very, normally it's I'm talking to him, the same day that I ask the question. So uh, yeah, he's he's been very generous with his time. I'd say if I, if I had to say I had a mentor, I would say David. David was that was that person.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a good man. He's made a, a big impact on the field. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I, also, I understand that uh, we we might have something coming up that we're going to talk about that you might disagree on, so we won't give that away just yet. But but hopefully it's not an Obi Wan Kenobi sort of uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> <position>. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll soon find out. David, no, no, we we've, we've we've had these
1: discussions. We've had the discussions in the pub already so 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 we' we're we're, uh, we're aware of of, of differing views on things
0: we're in safe territory then that that's that's good to hear hey so you you've been working um as an employed consultant as well as being self employed you know what was it that initially inspired you to go out on your own into your own consultancy that first time
1: okay so um the when when I first went into consultancy w- was really it was it was to learn like i thought that was the best place for for me to learn more um and uh and that that, that turned out to be true because you just get a a, a massive range of uh, a massive range of of different projects to work on um it's uh, it's a great way of getting diversity of experience um but the there was something that um there's a chap who he, I mean, he now works at um Amazon Miles Hunter, who who used to who used to work for um uh for David as a sort of consultant for for, for David Charles. And he he told me when I started there, he's like don't stay 18 months and then go freelance. Um and I never really sort of you know acknowledged it at the time. But you know, <laughs> about 18 months then I was like, you mm. know, I I, um, I find that that um, I, I like to have control of the design of the research of of try and get the best sort of um, do the best work I can for for whatever what, whatever I'm working on and often and often being in a being in an agency can get in that in the way of that because you know, you want to hit sales targets or, 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 or whatnot, or, or, or actually, um, it's largely to do with the way that they have to pitch for work. So essentially have to tell them what work they're going to do before they get the work. And so 100% of the time, um, when you go on to do that work, you learn stuff that would have, would then if you'd known it, you'd have done the work differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so i just wanted to i just wanted to do better work and and essentially have more control uh over that and and so being uh being freelance was or um was the was the way to do that and um <clears throat> another time is, uh, and uh david travis gave me a big confidence boost at the time um i won't tell you, tell you what he, what he did or said but he gave me a big confidence boost at the time where i thought well if he if he believes in me to that extent, then why on earth don't I believe in myself to that extent? So then I just, all right, I'm off. Uh, yeah. And, and there's always of,
0: people yeah. in, the, in the journey that are really important in in helping you take the next step.
1: Yeah. So I try. And, I try now to be because I'm like getting on a bit. I try to be that person to other people. <laughs> Tell them them to
0: bit, I've got more gray hairs than you do. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Uh, no, actually, it's, it's, just, it's just you've got more hair than me. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: hey, look, t- turning our attention to something that's probably a bit more of a, a serious topic. I mean, we're obviously living in this world with COVID-19 at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, it's having devastating effects around most of the globe. Um, from your observations and experiences since March, when, when it all sort of took off, how has it impacted UX research in your practice?
1: The biggest impact that, that I, I guess I had is what I used to have was um, live observation from, from a client's office. Um, so for example, quite a lot of the research I do is it's on Zoom, <clears throat> pardon me, um, but I don't want to have a Zoom call with 25 people on it and one participant. That's, that's just like not on. For, for the participant. So what what I would do was was have um I book a meeting room at the client's office, you know have a have a Zoom call from there. It was muted, no no camera etc. And it was just the meeting room, and really just that would be the only observer in the uh, um, in the in the session. And so that means a lot of people could live live observe without the person feeling that there was a whole, there was a, like a ton of people on the call. Um, now, now, because more often than not, the clients are at home, then I'll, I'll say, well, you can have one person observing um, live, everybody else, is, everybody else is watching the video uh, type of thing. That's, that's maybe the, the, the bigger impact that I've, that I've had.
0: David, um, uh, Travis shared with me some concern about the use of um, unmoderated usability studies. Mm-hmm. Um, because he felt that the um, overuse of those studies um, took away from that observed experience because people were unlikely to sit through, you know, six or seven sessions in their own time and sort of replay in full uh, what it was that the person was doing. What has been your experience with our moderated usability studies and how have you found them um, in your mix of research methods?
1: Okay, so um, my biggest use of unmoderated, <clears throat> um, uh, sort of, essentially usability testing, I guess, it, I guess it was mostly, um, was during my time at Sky Scanner, and so um, I was watching your your uh, interview with uh, Elizabeth Allen and uh, her her time at Prosper, I think it was, it was it just. Like ticked all the boxes of my <laughs> scanner. It was like, yep, yep, just nodding away. Um, and and part of that is that you're you're more in demand. You know, you're you're in demand, and and you and you basically have to choose the most important things to work on. Um, but the, but if you wanted people to be still be engaged in in doing user research, they're either going to go ahead without you, or um, or, or, or you can give them. You can give them something to help, and so um, unmoderated usability testing sort of helped to fill that gap. Because um, I could help with that. Um, I, I could help with that without it taking up, without it being the thing that I'm working on that week. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm running moderated user research for some for for somebody, I'm not I'm not juggling a number of projects at the same time because. You, the context switching that's required to do that means you're going to do a rubbish job at it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, I, my head would be in one place at a time. Um, and, um, and unmoderated uh, testing helped drastically with that. And so, a lot, because a lot of people, so when you've got a, a tech company that you've got a lot of product teams, and I sort of joke that, you know, when you, when you, <laughs> When you go and work for a a, a sort of you, you get these you get these people who are who are like get to the top of their game and then they go and work. Sorry, you you must you, I, I, I I realize you you probably watched some of my talks already, so you must be used to seeing these tangents happen that I go off on one. Um. So so when you when you um when you uh, as
0: long as you don't do any ha- havering and let's tell everyone what havering.
1: <laughs> yeah, havering. Yeah. So so um, yeah. yeah. We'll come back to havering, but but yeah, this is a haver that's happening. Um, the the um, uh, you, people get to the top of their game at say design, and then they go and work at Google or Facebook or or whatnot, and then they're they're working on a, on a settings menu in an app, and they're trying to affect something in some way. Um, it's sort of kind of my my idea of hell, but um, but but the um, but the, the, the research that's required to do that is, is fairly low touch. You know can people change the sort of privacy setting in this menus? you know that's, that's unmoderated usability testing fodder if ever I saw it. Um, and so the, the, um, so it allows it allows uh, an overstretched, uh, UX researcher to to satisfy sort of lower level importance projects um, without them doing nothing and just like doing it wrong or or or, or making a big full path.
0: I'm not um, really sure that you and David Travis do disagree. I was hoping for 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 a bit of biffo t- tonight. Yeah, no, no, sure.
1: no, no. So so like David gave a gave a, t- a good talk at Northern UX as well on this subject. Which I'm sure you've watched. Now that now that I've I've seen how much uh, how much you've researched, you, you clearly go into before you speak to somebody. Um, but uh, the um, and that's that's what he was essentially talking about. But but uh, I think we agree. It's it's just the, it's just the fact that um, he had reservations about it. And uh, and and the, the message that I get from David is don't do it. I have reservations about it but my my message is do it <laughs> you know? uh, do it but but don't rely on it alone um and so so one one thing that i I pick up from a lot of uh sort of um more experienced UXers is um this. Uh, this view that um, they're under threat, that, like the disciplines, under, their work is under threat. The value of their work is under threat because there are these cheap rubbish methods um, that are that are threatening them. If they if they really are cheap and rubbish, then they, they're no threat. Um, because you know, in my experience, I I, I, um, I often um, I often end up working for a company that. Initially, thought they had no need for somebody like me because they had it nailed. They'd, they'd had. Oh no, we've hired a UX designer. We're, we're good. Um, and then, did, like, you, did you make
0: months- them laugh in the interview again? Sorry. Make them laugh in the interview again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so the, um, you know, people realise when when the results. Well, the the companies that I, I'd like to work for realise when they're not getting the results that they're asking. Um, there are other companies that do UX as theatre. You know, they're, they're always going to do the same thing, but UX is part of the theatre that gives them all the, the the sense of security that they're doing it well, and they then release stuff that's not that good. Um, but but other companies realize that they're not getting the results that they're after, and they're wondering why that is. And often it's because that they're not doing it very well, um, and then they need somebody to help them. Um, so, if if you're truly, if there is truly value in the in the work that you do, then it shouldn't go out of demand because because a bad a, a bad approach exists. Um, you know, the other thing that I'd say about about um, I'm not sure how well I I'm not sure how well I articulated that, but um, the uh, the the other thing about that is, is people people um, like practically every client that. <laughs> That I, that I work with, if they've been using unmoderated testing, I, I sort of ask to watch some of the videos because it's generally, like, the, the way that you've approached it, generally quite um, low, low quality. Um, and and they're, all, they're often making a lot of the same mistakes. Um,
0: what would some of those mistakes be?
1: So <laughs> I knew that was going to be the next question. We've got to steal the thunder for a, for a blog post, but,
0: but like, <laughs> since, since, <laughs> since you asked,
1: <laughs> uh, since, since you asked, um, the first the first and most widely spread one in uh, in unmoderated um, uh, is, is either no screener questions or bad screener questions, and so they've just used the demographic filters, and then they're asking somebody. To, to use a, an accounting platform or something like that. And then, and so, you know, Moira, Moira from, Moira from Bone S, who works in a sweet shop is trying to use, <laughs> is trying to use an accounting, a bit of accounting software and you're like, well, that's, that's not your target user, is it? Um, unless Moira from the sweet shop in Bone S, you know, owns the sweet shop and has accounting software, then she is, but, um, but the, the, um, so the, so no screener questions, but, but mostly it's bad screener questions. So um, say, for example, you're, you, you're, you run a website that sells cars. Um, and so you think, well, we'd like to talk to people who have done this before, or, or actually who are in the market for a car just now. And so they add a screener question, say, are you looking to buy a new car? Yes or no? Um, and and really, when you understand how these platforms work, they're 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 pa- generally most of them are, are big panels, uh, and 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 quite a lot of the protesters, as 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 people call them, they've got like five six accounts under different email addresses, where they're in one time, they're a they're an account executive for a, a larger organization, and another one they're a student. So they get, you know, they get invites to all the, the questions regardless of the demographic filters that you that you ask for. Um, and so if you ask a, a screener question that's got a yes, no, um, and it, then the person who's like desperate to get on to that test, who's going to be the quickest to respond to the screener, is, knows exactly how to answer that in order to get on it. And then, so then you've got somebody blagging through um, a session rather than somebody that's... Um, No, then the other things is like asking whether people would use it, would you use this, which that's just, that's not, that's not unmoderated, moderated, bad research, that's just bad research. And there's nothing about it being unmoderated that makes that that a bad question to ask. And there's there's no difference if you, if you ask that question in person, it doesn't make that question any better. It's still a sucky question. Um, David, uh-huh.
0: Are, you, are you saying that you actually need to know what you're doing before running research? Exactly, there you
1: go. And so, so, so the problem isn't bad unmoderated research, it's bad research. Uh, and unmoderated just makes it easier to access for people. Uh, and so they're often doing uh, bad research because they're trying to do it as easy, easy as possible. And so the, the, the tool's not really the problem, but there is a, there is a problem... With the fact that it's so wide, that so it's making the, the amount of researches done so widespreadly bad, is, is a as a as is an issue that I recognise um, and sort of agree with, um, but mm-hmm. I, I I I'm quite I'm quite a fan of um, uh, using using those tools, but it doesn't it doesn't really replace you know uh, you know an in person test, but. But every 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 um, approach you take has benefits and and drawbacks, and so you know all the people. For example, all the people lamenting, um, you know, and and ask you asked me earlier, and I've I've said that that um, actually hasn't changed the research that I do that much. Uh, And one of the reasons I like I I like doing. research remotely which i used to actually hate uh, I, because back then the technology was so flaky that it, it pretty much meant that you were letting down your client and it was looking making making the, your work look terrible um because the call wouldn't happen um, but uh but now I, I sort of favor it because it's the quality of participant that you can get you get you get you get you know if you if you've got a a lesser geographic um sort of constraint then you can you can, in a shorter period of time, you can, uh, you can access those people. And obviously, you say, oh, well, we, you know, you should be going to visit people in their, uh, in their office for the best reception. That's fine. I, I, I agree. For that one bit of research, most of the time, you'll be doing it better if you go and visit people. But that, the footprint, the time footprint in that research... Will be exponentially bigger than uh, um, than if you were doing it remotely, uh, and so if you're if you're um, in a in a sort of fairly fast moving environment like you're, you're work you are you're, you're working in an agile environment like everybody is well not everybody but a lot of people are, um, then your learning is way further up the road because because you've done you've done four bits of research in the time somebody's like planned and organized one. Um, and fair enough, that one bit of research you did, they, they, they got some nuances that they would never have known if they hadn't gone in and visited. but that person's done four bits. And, and so they've learned a whole lot more that you haven't. And so mm-hmm. it's just, how are you going to, how are you going to balance those things out and how important is one thing over another? And then you, you have to make a judgment call on those things.
0: So one of the things that comes up regularly in my conversations with other researchers is the role of culture and enabling great research to happen. And this is something that I'm quite personally invested in. How did you go about building a culture that supported research at Skyscanner? Because I understood you joined the company when there was only 20 employees or so you first started working for them.
1: Yeah, so I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't claim to have built the culture from that that point at, at that point I was a uh, I was in the office every every so often um, doing a bit of doing a bit of work for them. It, it was really essentially when I, I, joined as an employee, I tried to sort of make it more make sort of UX research a more standard practice and in, uh, in, in the work that we did. And and really the way that I did that was I tried to do that was through proof. Uh, just, um, you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't convince everybody that they needed to stop the way that they were doing it and, and listen to to this new guy that's come in. Because, you know, there was, I the day I started, there was 14 other people starting that <laughs> that day. And, you know, imagine we all had to, st- and then the next week there was another 14 and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you can't make the entire company stop and listen to every new person that starts a fast growing company. Um, but uh, I, I just started with proof, so so like I would uh, I would I would sort of stick my nose in the places where, where I think I would have the most impact, um, and uh, and then try and prove that this that this was the approach that um, that that worked, and then so when you've got like uh, back then, uh, uh, you know, say a dozen product managers, and they're wanting to know why. You, you know, this product manager X is getting, you know, getting such good results. Uh, and they said, well, one thing we're doing is UX research. Um, and so I, I, the thing is, I can't really, I can't really claim that, you know, I, I went in and, and like I was some sort of, you know, apostle that came in and, and sort of, you uh, told them all about UX research because essentially it was a fast growing company. So, um, they were hiring product managers who, who were used to, um, UX research. So they were, you know, there were people coming in going, so, you know, where's your, where's your UX research team? And they're like, you mean David. <laughs> and so I, like every, every, every so often I would get somebody appearing and, uh, sort of email and then Slack when it came along.
0: So yeah, what you be, it sounds like what you would do is you would do poor quality, unmoderated remote usability studies for the product managers you didn't like, and that, <laughs> that you did like look really good. <laughs> no, they were doing nothing. Like the <laughs> the you know they, they were
1: they were doing opinion based stuff, uh, and there was you know when I when I joined there was still a lot of you know opinion and then, and and actually you know strat, strategy wise. I guess I shouldn't get too much into that but like I, you know I, I, I still feel that it could have, could more could have been done from an evidence perspective than that. So um so yeah so uh, like a product team that were working on something that that had had no had no like was all based on assumption um and wasn't and and didn't use any sort of usability testing to help improve as it as it went on either um you know, there would be lots of projects that would that would hit hit blank results, and people would want to know, oh, well, what were we doing wrong? And then there was other projects where where people were getting success, and you know, there was a correlation there. Um, that happened that they're either, uh, like I was I was like doing the, doing research for the more I was helping the product managers. Because quite a lot of the time, the product managers were. Like uh, some of them were were so into it, they wanted they wanted to be the ones doing it, and that's that's fine. I just helped them help them do that, and so, um, sort of sort uh, of persuade with proof is 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 I sort of try and still take that um, take that sort of view now. So when when I'm working with a client, I, I, it's it's easier for me to just you know get get a bit of trust from them. That, right, we're going to do this bit of work, and then. I can I can try and sell you the, uh, but but if you trust me and and we uh, and we do this, you're going to see for yourself that that it's it's worthwhile. And if you don't, then you know I I don't, If I if you're not convinced, I don't really want to do the work anyway. So so um, so it's a sort of win-win from that. So yeah, persuading with demonstrations is uh, sort of my my sort of go-to approach.
0: Yeah, I mean, there seems to be a bit of a culture, particularly when it comes to the management levels of organizations to uh, rely more heavily in their decision-making on quantifiable data. So you talked about uh, opinions, and I'm sure that surveys played a bit of a role in things there. You know, what is it that um, you believe that they, um, they I shouldn't say they, that some people, when it comes to making decisions, um, sort of devalue or don't value as... To equal footing, qualitative research. Um, partly, uh, partly, I think it's because um,
1: every individual doesn't people people have got a, in their heads when they work in a, a company. You know, whether they vocalise it or not, they've probably got in their heads what their what their sort of target user looks like. You know, not physically looks like, but um, and um, and whenever they whenever they see a a sort of user research session um because that person doesn't actually exist and um, whenever they see a user research session they see somebody who's maybe like understands a bit less or or like uh, has different domain knowledge entirely or has different mental models and it's easy for them to sort of dismiss that because it doesn't it doesn't match that sort of made up person and in their head, and but the but the the numbers are are the numbers, and and and, um, and so they're so irrefutable. Um, I, I do think, from from UX research point of view, is that um, from a sort of business point of view, businesses are over reliant on on numbers that they don't know they don't understand anything behind why why those numbers are the way that they are. Um, but from a UX research point of view. It's too far the, the other side. They're way too as a discipline, we're way too reliant on uh, on qualitative uh, qualitative techniques and mistaking that for reality. Um, so for example, if you if you run a let's say you run a website um what, what was what was the example I used last time? I can't remember what it was now. But uh, yeah. let's say you're selling shoes, yeah. And um, so you so you run some uh, you run some usability tests of uh, people using your your uh, shoe selling website, and um, and and you see certain behaviours. If you record that screen, like uh, and and just take the audio away from it, uh, and and see how how the person's going through the screen. And say, for instance, you've got screen record session recording software and that what runs on your website if you compare the the screen movement on uh on a usability test to to actual actual behavior you find it's markedly different uh behavior um and so uh ux research is a habit of of thinking that um that that what they're observing is 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 the reality of what happens rather than a Rather than an indication of, of some of the some of the things that are going on behind the reality of, of what happens, um, so I've I've answered a different question. I'm sorry, but
0: but uh, but, but yeah, it like you're describing people watching, say, screen recordings through Hotjar or something similar, and yeah. not having not having that behavioural um, input of the person's face as they as they're doing that, that task.
1: Yeah, so like I mean, there, there, there are clients that, that I've worked for, they've, they've, they've had like hot jar, full story uh, or, or whatever going And, and uh, what they see is reality on the session recording because that it, it actually happened. But they, then they invent a, a rationale behind it. And then they mistake that rationale for the reality because the session recording was real, but the explanation is theirs. Um, yeah. So they, their made up explanation becomes fact yeah. because it's based on a fact. It was a, it's a, an assumption based on a fact, and then and then that becomes a fact. And 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 really, I'm just a a big fan of triangulation of, of stuff, and and uh, qualitative research is is, uh, is a massive part of that. But um, if if you're not uh, if you're not used to using whatever method that you can. To find the evidence that you need um then you're you're leaving behind in my view you're leaving behind a big part of your your job but that the, maybe maybe we're then touching on the fact the fact that actually as a discipline ux research is is becoming more about the research than the ux um,
0: What's, tell me about that
1: so um so so now we get we've got um ux researchers who do any any Sort of method that exists, um, and uh, and the focus is on the is on methodology of um, research design um, facilitation, uh, and and like being a good being a good researcher is about good moderation or or or, or whatnot. and and really UX research is just a, a means to an end. Uh, and the end is making good decisions. Uh, and so you can do amazing research but if the good decisions don't happen then your work is pointless. Um, and uh and so uh, I think as a discipline we 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 just kind of dwell too much on you know cognitive biases and uh, you know et cetera et cetera trying to sound pseudo scientific not pseudo scientific but but you know you know what i mean but um to to try and elevate our elevate our status, uh, but not actually, you know, helping people make decisions because you, you could have done an amazing research and if it does but if it doesn't, but if nobody makes the decision whether it, it's like a tree falling over in the wood when nobody was there. Which,
0: you you, you know, talked about helping, you know, product managers with research at Skyscanner. So you're, it sounds like what you're talking about here is making sure that the uh, outcomes of research get implemented? What are some of the things that uh, as a researcher you can do to assist the product manager or whoever is in charge of the design decision to make the right decisions?
1: So I, I think to begin with, it, it, you, need to, you need to begin with by, um, by trying to track what, like what, you, what you found, what was done and then the outcome, um, rather than do the research walk away. Um because you never you can never help anybody with anything if that's all you ever do. Because all you do is research. Um, you you didn't track the decisions that were made. Um, you didn't track the impact of those decisions on on the the sort of business outcomes. So you can't you can't actually give any advice um mm-hmm. unless unless you unless you know, you know, doing this Doing that, doing that, you, the, the product manager has a better has a better view on that than you because because they they've they've had to make decisions like that and they've seen the outcome of decisions like that, um and uh, and so you're not really in a position to advise that product manager, um if all you're doing is research and then chucking it over the wall or or actually allowing them to analyse it themselves and then walking away and doing the next one, then all you're good for is research is facilitating research and 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 if that's if that's the um if that's the sort of job that you want to do then that's fair enough but you at some point you're going to come across somebody who needs a bit of help um and so yeah so going for you know tracking the reason for following the decisions that were made seeing what the outcomes were then allows you to give better advice
0: in your last blog post you spoke about Company leadership spending less time in front of users <laughs> as they grow, yeah. as the company grows. And you know, people put in layers of management in between the founders and um and, and the user, the customer. If they're successful, if if the founders or the, the, the management are successful and the company is growing and making money by them not spending time in front of users, why should they?
1: Um because there's always somebody else coming along that's trying to eat your dinner or breakfast or whatever they call it, yeah. So um, you you become the incumbent, and then you're like, "What? How are how are these other companies that are able to come up with this sort of kind of better way of this, that, and the next things?" Like, well, because they're the version of you ten years ago. <laughs> um, is essentially uh, is essentially the answer there, um, because it's it's uh, you know the, the the layers of the layers of management uh, is one is one thing that inhibits it because every every layer of management wants to have an input on uh, on something. So um, people talk about autonomy of like you know product teams and it, and it doesn't it doesn't exist as much as as much as people sort of pretend it it does. Um and so like every layer of management wants to have their input of of what should be done and before you know it, like you know people who are nothing like uh, your users and uh, have absolutely no contact with your users are the ones that are calling the bigger shots. Um, rather than the, the people that are are spending are spending time trying to learn about it are, are the ones that aren't really getting listened to anymore. Whereas a, a, a you know a founder uh, a founder will will generally be all over um, sort of understanding what user needs uh, and behaviour are uh, but uh, but after a while they will just get too busy and then it's what happens after that that can dictate um, you know how how user centred the the company remains I'm sure there are some big companies that are that are still like you know really uh, Sort of really user centred. I just haven't come across them.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think it's probably fair to say that there's quite a few founders out there that would have um, been doing their own user research, possibly guerrilla user testing at the local coffee shop. Um, you know, that's fast and it's cheap. What isn't to like about that method?
1: A few things, but but the for us for a startup founder, as um, usually more often than not, you're um, your product's new. It, it you know it's a, it's a new concept that doesn't exist uh, or hadn't existed until you came up with it. So there's a there's a also like there's an incumbent approach of 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 doing doing things that that's not the way that your your product does it. Um and and so you can uh, you can sort of see how how sort of approachable the usability of of what you've got as to the average coffee shop dweller Um, but that's that's only a minutiae of the user research that you need to that you need to do and if you're making all your decisions based on talking to people in coffee shops then you're not talking to the and you're not talking to the people who are next most likely to adopt your product um and so and the adoption of of these new things a great a great example is uh is software like zero or free agent um uh, like accounting software you've you've still got companies out there using you know the old uh the old ones like not everybody still just now not everybody uses zero but lots of people use zero now um as as an- as accounting software um but if you went if you went back sort of 5 years i don't know how, how actually how old uh, zero is it's it's certainly more than 5 years old um you know the 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 type of people that used using zero back then are different than the ones that have adopted it since mm-hmm. um and and so and essentially what i'm referring to is is this you know tech adoption life cycle that um that you'll read about in books there, there's a book uh, bridging the gap that, that, that talk talks about this tech adoption lifecycle. and I sort of simplify that to the fact that um, that your early your early users are your um, are the ones that are most motivated and able to to adopt it because they need it, uh, and the, the, and they're they're more likely um, the type of people that go looking for new ways of doing things, um, so. That person with the vanilla latte is not that person in that coffee shop. Um, well, it might be, but you know these people are, are sort of in, in the minority. So, so you know, if you're going to uh, throw a throw a stone in a coffee shop, you're you're unlikely to hit somebody like that. You know, early days of Skyscanner, I, I I had to I when I was recruiting for um for research participants, I had to say. You know, books flights online has to be had to be one of those considerations. Like, has booked a flight online in the last six months? Because um, without it, back then, people would say, "Oh, I'd just phone. I'd phone the. I'd phone the airline." And you know, behaviours change, uh, yeah. and and uh, and UX research sometimes a bit sort of um, blind to the fact that 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 that's, that can happen.
0: So I've heard you speak about the importance of being human when carrying out user research, in particular, usability testing. What mm-hmm. do you mean about that?
1: At the time I gave that talk, we've probably moved on a little bit, that it's probably less needed. and It's a less needed thing to say. But um, previously, there was a very sort of lack a, almost like a laboratory approach to usability testing in that um that you were you were trying not to um influence the the, the participant in in any way and um, so essentially you were being like completely cold to the to the fact that they existed or that, that, that they knew you were there <laughs> and and like uh, and, and and so the fact that you're That you're trying your hardest to 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 make nothing that you say influence their behaviour leads to an influence on their (laughs) behaviour because they're uh, because there's this robot sitting next to them (laughs) um, that they they can't. You're in a lab.
0: (laughs) You're in a (laughs) lab. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: Yeah, back to back to the 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 being human thing is that. in, in, the, in the quest for actually not making mistakes, people, people can end up just being so petrified of saying anything that was anything other than you know, what, was, what was scripted um, that it just leads to a very sort of um, dry and uninformative session. Whereas um, if you relax and make mistakes, because you know, so long as you, you, you're aware of the mistakes that sometimes you say something like oh, "I shouldn't have put it like that," or, or, or whatever. Just relax and make them, because you'll get a much better session from the participant by um, just being a human uh, that they that they can speak to than than being this person that's like nervous, like a nervous wreck that doesn't want to make any mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so.
0: You, you've you've got for people that 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 may be nervous about running a mod- or moderating a session. You know what sort of things can they do to, to be more human?
1: Moving away from uh, everything being sort of rigid to everything being sort of flexible and but but just having direction. So 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 to begin with, for example, you might need an introduction that um, that's word for word. Like, because you because you've you've not got it in your head to say it, um. So you so for your for your purposes, you need to just read it out, um. And then, but as a matter of course, trying to move away from that. So then the next thing you can just do is, do is write yourself a list of prompts. Make sure you cover these things, and so that you can say it in a more human way, rather than reading it off a reading it off a script. But you've got a wee re- reminder checklist. Uh, and now and then you can move away, you move away from that, and and so like as a as a you know I, I my introduction I, I I I do from from memory, um, but uh, but that doesn't mean it's great, <laughs> you know, um, because because I will say oh yeah I forgot to I forgot to say this, um, and like I'm I'm much I'm much happier for saying oh I forgot to say this, than giving myself this distraction because i want to focus on the person so if i can remove anything that's a distraction uh from that uh i i do and, and so that so i I, uh, I try to have as as little stuff scripted as possible so so for example if you're doing a a user interview um don't have a script um you like you can have some questions written down but don't ask them and that, that sounds that sounds really stupid like writing questions down that you don't ask but you know if, if you if you're, you can jot yourself down some themes that you want to make sure that you've covered and then write questions that um that that you've not and so then when you want to say uh, when you hit a dead spot or something like, in, in the conversation you can go oh, is, it, is there anything i've not asked and then you can see the question and go oh wait a minute it was not covered that okay and then you can then you can ask it but if you if you write a script of questions, then you're just gonna ask a question, get an answer ask a mm-hmm. question get an answer and and the level of insight you get into that uh, into that session is way lower than when you've got a good idea of what you want to try and find out and you just you find that out with a conversation
0: yeah and I find that myself actually interviewing people uh, for the show oh, yeah. I- a series of topics and questions, but often the discussion goes in very different directions and you have to be able to, I suppose, follow it along, um, yeah. able to catch people where they are and, and go from th- one theme to another. So we, we were talking a little bit before just about the mindset of the moderator and the usability testing environment and how they can become a bit more relaxed and be a bit more human. What about the mindset that the product team or the people that are observing the session um, have you know what expectations should they have of what they're about to see particularly when they've been involved in the design anybody that's making any
1: decisions on part of the uh, on the on the thing that we're doing is is they are watching as as many as many of the um, sessions as possible they um they don't have well i mean it's, it's hard now they're all at home because like um you know when i've got an observation room set up it's good to like. It's hard to tell clients give clients rules, but you say, look, if possible, no phones, no laptops, um, because they're just distractions, um, and uh, and then a bit of guidance about try not to think about solutions when you're watching, Like because because people always try and relate what they're seeing back to something that we're doing or an idea that they've got or the way that the product currently exists is like. Try and forget all of that, um, and just focus on that person. And if if that person was the only user you had, then you know, then just listen, just listen to them. And the I think the hardest thing for people observing is maintaining concentration um, on on what's being said, because because frankly, quite a lot of quite you know quite a lot of what they're listening to um can at that point be boring you know to them it can it can be boring it's not boring to me um but it, it can be boring to them and they can, so if they quickly get bored and start looking around the room um etc they sort of they miss the they miss the thing that they said in the midst of all the boring stuff and then the thing that they said later on then when the, when those two things get tied together they have a big impact and they just miss it all because they get a bit bored, um, and, and so I tr- I try as much as I can to 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 sort of manage that. So, like, for example, when I uh, uh, when I I first started doing uh, usability testing for for um, Skyscanner, we did very short, um, very short sessions. So, like you know, forty five minutes tops, fifteen minutes in between. In between sessions and trying, so so you so you've got um, somebody's a bit boring. The next person's kind of coming along, so you just listen, <laughs> you know. So you're you're asking, you're you're. There's more variety happening, and um, there, there, there are more frequent breaks, uh, etc. To 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 try and kind of keep people engaged, in, uh, in in the sessions.
0: Hopefully, this will be a fun question to answer. What's a panty? So a punty, <laughs> ah, okay. So a punty is
1: um that actually a punty is one of these words in Scotland. Um it's not even universal in Scotland. Um so if I drive 20 miles that way, the word for it will be different, probably. Um but a punty is when when you need uh if if when you're a kid um and you're trying to get over a wall um and the wall's too big. When so, you're running
0: from the place or something.
1: Well, you can you can use that example. <laughs> so so uh, and uh, and then so what what one of you does is you stand with your back to the wall with your hands like that, and then your friend puts his foot on your hand, and then you go like that, and so that gets them that gets them over the wall. That's where I grew up. That was called a punty
0: what is a punty in the context of a usability test?
1: Yeah. So, um, essentially any, any use big usability, uh, issues in a website or software, um, block you from finding out other ones. Um, so they dominate the session to the, to the extent, this is why you should do it iteratively. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you, you fix those problems and then you find the, the next ones. But, uh, in a session, once you know something's an issue, you can either sit, sit there and watch watch them stew in it uh, for, for, for ages, and be true to the be true to the not influence the session thing, or you can give them a punty and uh, get them over the get them over the wall. So you basically just get them beyond that bit. Um, and uh, again, it, it's it's less it's less controversial. To suggest that now, and I'd suggest that that's that's probably how we, as a discipline, we've got a bit better at usability testing. Um, but but like a, a while back, you know, if I like if I suggested doing that, people would be like, oh, "No, you don't do that because you don't get involved in the session. And Like you're 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 sort of contaminating the session." It's like, well, yeah, but then I've got one finding to get, you know, there was a big brick wall at the, at the start of the session and we saw nothing after that because I didn't get involved or you can give them a punty over that wall and find more stuff behind it. Um, and yeah. so got, like that, that analogy was, that analogy was used as advice to, you know, once you know, something's uh, know something's an issue and you can be confident that they're pretty much stuck there, then get them beyond it so you can find more things to fix because some people will get stuck at that wall, but usually you know, other people get over that wall. And so you want to find out things that are, that are behind that wall that are a problem as well.
0: I'm just conscious of time. So I, I might give us both a punty into the closing part of the interview. <laughs> okay. David, what is it that has kept you fighting the user's corner for the past 17 years? I just i i i find that I just find it
1: interesting um, to I, I guess I I I, um, I find the investigative element of it interesting um, and trying to sort of decipher what's going on out there. Um, uh, it, it's, it's it's a bit investigative and and I, I really I really enjoy that that bit of it. But I I also um, I'm easily frustrated by things. I like um, things that don't. I have low pa- patience for things that don't work, um, and and so um, it just it just it feels like I'm making it the world a bit better. I'm making fewer of those things um, in the world, uh, and also um, I've I can then turn that frustration into a sort of benefit because I can. I can I'd like decipher why, it's, why that thing's happening the way it, the way it is. I, I just turn that frustration about things into my job. So it's, it's kind of, it sort of eases the frustration knowing that I'm putting it to some sort of use. Um, that's, that's, that's about the best explanation that I have for, for why I keep going.
0: The job's largely about observing behavior and you've observed quite a bit of behavior over the years. What has been the single most funny thing you've observed as a researcher
1: um the 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 one that that really got um that got people in stitches and um when when I came back into an observation room after people had been uh, had been watching the session and people and like the people were on the floor laugh, sort of laughing was was the lady who um the lady who, who um, pronounced Pacific as specific now, it's usually done the other way around so be, if, when somebody says uh, what's the specific thing they, sometimes people say what's the Pacific thing that, you, you, that you're talking about which is a I've never really seen it the other way around so so <laughs> and when you have a, a a sort of desire to fly with Cathy Ka- Ka- specific um like so she kept saying Cathy specific um and I think they started calling her Kathy specific um, because because she just kept saying Kathy Kathy Specific instead of Kathy Pacific as as, as this airline, and um, and I was just like, you know, straight faced all the way through it, and I came into the observation room and and everybody was just on the floor because you, people when when you say it once it's like oh that was quite funny but but they just when it keeps going and it keeps going it's. Uh, uh, it's quite uh, it's quite funny
0: i think you've seen a couple of the other interviews so this is probably not unfamiliar to you but we, we call this game what's the first word that comes to mind ah uh, yeah i saw that with yeah. david so we're going to have three words i'm going to say the word and then you're going to tell me the first word that comes to mind we'll go through them one at a time okay. makes sense yeah all right so i'll say a word you tell me the first thing that comes to mind here we go empathy Ah. <laughs> so the word
1: the word <laughs> the word that came to mind w- w- was was not about empathy it was it was about you and it wasn't flatter. <laughs> it wasn't flattering because I just pieced a, I pieced together in my head the fact that how well you've done your homework <laughs> um so so the word that I had in my head was is is a was a crude term for a, for for a sort of uh, fatherless child, shall we say.
0: <laughs> we'll, move on, we'll move on to the next the next word. I feel like I'm a bit safer. Um uh, strategic research focus. It's words beginning with B.
1: Um <laughs> and, and that one and that one's like BS. Um and not not to say that not to say that strategic uh, you know that strategy doesn't exist but but it's often um, sort of a smokescreen smoke screen for, for for bullshit basically yeah
0: uh, it's a, it's a weasel word
1: yeah yeah i mean strategy is essentially things that are like a, a decision with whether whether where the impact is beyond the current decision that that's the way I see it, it's that it's that simple. But you know, it's uh, it's used by seniority to create a mystique um, for their opinions quite a lot of
0: the time. Right. Last last word. Are you ready? Okay. Marketing. <sighs> I try, a word
1: that still hasn't come in. Uh, just selling, uh, I guess, is 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 essentially what uh, what what comes into my head just now is, is just selling
0: for everyone that's listening, David has an honours degree in marketing, and so <laughs> clearly it didn't make much of an impact. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so me, what, you're
0: you're, you're
1: assuming you're assuming a certain level of knowledge that comes <laughs> uh, to anybody that's that's wanting to course through a university degree choose a marketing one just read the textbook it's really easy to get a degree in marketing you don't even have to go to the lectures. anyway there we are sorry
0: <laughs> what's your greatest hope for ux research once we're over COVID 19. that people realize that getting good uh
1: good ux researchers is is really hard there's a lot of, there's a lot of people on the market that are ux researchers um but the 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 really good ones are really hard to find, um, and so if, if making location a dependency is basically just doing you a disservice, um, as I guess is what I would say. Find good find good, uh, find good uh, UX practitioners uh, wherever they are. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the dependence on location, I guess, is, is, is what, I'd, uh, what I'd hope uh, improves.
0: Look, David, this has been a really great conversation. It has been a great pleasure having you on the show. And I really do appreciate you so generously sharing your knowledge and your contribution to UX research over the years. Thanks very much for having me. I,
1: I, I, enjoy, these, I enjoy these chats, um, as, you, as you can probably tell. So I've, I've enjoyed it greatly. So thanks for asking me on, Brendan.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And look, you know, you've shared a lot of insights with us today, and I'm sure that people are going to get a lot out of it. And it's going to lead to creating even better products. You know, what what's some of the best ways that people can contact you if they're interested in following you or, or talking to you about research? How can they get in touch?
1: Okay, so you did a good sales job on my uh, on my my uh, my UX uh, tips uh, YouTube channel that I, I've just sort of started. Um, so I think I think I'm under forty subscribers just now. So <laughs> I
0: think you're probably ahead <laughs> of me. So I think you're doing
1: okay. It's continue. Its continuation will be dependent on people actually watching them. Um, the um the best way to get in contact with me uh would be either linkedin is a really good way of getting contact uh with me um and uh and on my my website is uh upux dot uh, upux.biz uh and what one what, what i've started to do now um from uh from the last couple of weeks uh is is um because because my, I'm, I'm not meeting like i'm i um, working at home not meeting people about is that you can you can if you if you need a 30 minute chat with me about something sort of UX related if it's about your career or about your about your um about your business your your ideas etc and you can just book you can book a zoom call with me uh, from my website so just um, you can just go to my website and uh, book some time on my calendar uh, from there no, you can you can great. also email me, which is uh, which is this, this, this latest technology called email, which, which which you can do from do from our website as well.
0: Fantastic! Oh, that's a great idea. Having people being able to book time with you, David, that's really cool. <laughs> So, hey, so thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Everything that David and I have covered today, I'll be posting in the show notes, including all the places that you can find David's website that he's mentioned, the blog, uh, YouTube channel, and his LinkedIn, plus all of the other resources that we may have spoken about today. If you enjoyed the show and you wanna hear me do more of these great conversations, don't forget to like the video, make a comment, ask a question, anything that comes to mind that you might wanna know more about. And of course, subscribe to the channel. And until next time, keep being brave.